Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollack. This is What Can I Do, the podcast where we help you figure out what you can do. And sometimes the answer is you can run for something, which is what we're going to talk about today. I'm here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How are you? I am looking forward to speaking with Amanda, whom both of us have spoken to before. So uh, go ahead and introduce our guest, Lila. Today, we have Amanda Littman from Run For Something, which is an organization that if you are on Twitter or like on the internet at large, you hopefully have heard something about. Um, They help support candidates for local office as they embark on their campaigning journey. And we are super excited to delve into that a bit and talk a little bit about how Run For Something started. But first, I'm going to let Amanda introduce herself and tell us, you know, a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Um, so my name is Amanda, as you so capably said. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the co-founders and co-executive directors of Run for Something, along with my partner, Ross Morales Forketo. Um, We launched Run for Something back in 2017, uh, thinking it'd be really small. Maybe we'd get 100 people who want to run for office. What a cool hobby this would be. Um, I had just come off the Clinton campaign. Ross had worked for a bunch of uh, different campaigns and organizations over the years. Instead, we had 1,000 people sign up in the first week. As of today, we're up to nearly 130,000 young people all across the country who've raised their hands to say, I want to run for local office. Now what? Um, So we have built a thing that answers that question. Um, How you get on the ballot, what you do once you're on there, how to run a campaign uh, for something does endorsements, which we've done more than 2,300 of since 2017. And we help people win elections. We've helped elect more than 650 people across 48 states, mostly women, mostly people of color, all first-time candidates for offices like state house, state senate, city council, school board, library board, you know, things that you don't read enough about in the news, but that really make a difference in your day-to-day life. So we're going to have lots of questions about how people can get plugged into all of that. But uh, first, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, how you first got involved in politics and and sort of figured out, you know, how you got to the place you're at. <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up in the D.C. suburbs in Northern Virginia, like right on the edge where it's like sort of D.C., but sort of uh, at that point in the 90s, like Confederacy-ish. Um wasn't really in a political family, but always cared about politics. Um, I don't remember a time before I thought this was interesting in a way to make a difference. I used to volunteer for political campaigns growing up. So knock doors for Democrats in Virginia, which in the early 2000s was a mostly losing battle. Um, went to Northwestern University for college specifically because I wanted to work for Barack Obama's presidential campaign, which is like not a great way to pick a college and um you still picked the right college so (laughs) um i actually wrote my thesis i was an american studies major focusing on gender and politics on women running for office against other women and how that changes gender performance in tv ads which turns out was quite relevant um all through college i did things like 
uh, interned on Capitol Hill, which taught me I didn't want to work on Capitol Hill. <laughs> uh, worked for the local Fairfax County Democratic Party where I was growing up. Um, did college journalism, did political journalism internships for a while. And then my senior year got an internship and then was ultimately hired on the Obama campaign. So long-term plan, check. Um, I just knew that politics was the way you could make the world a better place. And it was also so interesting to me. So a little bit art, a little bit science, a little bit psychology, um, a little bit marketing, um, but a lot of impact. And I could got the bug and have never, <laughs> have never been able to shake it. So here I am more than a decade later, still trying to make sure that it stays interesting and stays impactful. I'm curious if you came from a not particularly political family, if there were any sort of like inciting issues or moments in your youth or teenage years that made you think like, wait a minute, I could do this though. My best friend's mom was very political. Um, so she used to take us to NARAL Pro-Choice Virginia events. I remember getting a lime green, why lime green? I don't know. Um, NARAL Pro-Choice Virginia t-shirt for volunteering. Um, we used to go to protests. Um, this was again in Virginia in the 90s and early 2000s, which was not the same place it is now. Although with Glenn Youngkin, maybe they're getting back there. Um, I went to Jewish summer camp. I grew up pretty religious and one of the things at summer camp that they really instilled was a value of social justice, of you have a responsibility to make the world a better place. And one of the programs that I did through that was this program run by the Religious Action Center where they brought Jewish teenagers to Capitol Hill for a week and taught you like how to talk about the issues and how to talk with legislators and to advocate from your values, from Jewish values for political issues. And it was really, like I still think about it a lot as a very transformative experience of it is not enough just to care, you have to act. Like you have to, to, to show up and try to live the things you believe as much as possible. Um, I guess the sort of culminating factor for me was my junior year of high school. Um, I skipped a day of school, which was a very unusual for me because I was a quote unquote good kid and went to go see this guy named Barack Obama speak at the university across the street. It was when he was still touring, um, doing like students for Obama rallies before he even launched his presidential campaign. And I remember going and hearing a politician speak in a way that I'd never heard before. Like I'd never felt seen before. I'd never understood that this is how someone who wanted to govern could actually make me feel. And that was the moment I knew I wanna work for people like him. I love that. Uh, so. I'm wondering, you've worked for national campaigns and like statewide campaigns. And of course you had these experiences doing more local stuff. Are there lessons that we can learn from those more national, bigger campaigns that then you can sort of scale down and use at the, the more local level? Yeah, I think a couple of things that you see sort of regardless of campaign size um, is that the candidate really matters. Um, Voters are not robots, voters are people, they respond to other people. Um, the messenger is as important, if not more important than the message. So when you think about who the candidate is, the life experiences they bring to the conversation, the personal personality that they bring, the authenticity that they bring, that's really important. Um, and to pretend that you know it isn't, I think misses the point of how people consume information. So, um, you know, we see this, especially, I think a lot about like the 2020 um, Democratic presidential primary, they're all basically saying the same thing. 
It was the people <laughs> who were saying it and whether or not they could make the case for why they wanted to do this job. Um, the best campaigns of any size are ones that are driven by such a clear rationale for running for office that a candidate can answer the three basic questions, which is what is the problem you care about solving? How does the office you're running for give you a place to solve it? And why should voters want you to win? Which is different than why do you want to win? You want to win because winning is great and losing is bad. Voters want you to win because you're going to deliver for them. A candidate who can answer those three things, everything else is just logistics. And you can like the 2020 presidential primaries are a pretty good example of how this played out in that the candidates who could clearly answer that question, you know, maybe their campaigns weren't perfect, but their campaigns had a North Star. The ones who couldn't, very messy because you spend a lot of time debating what do I believe as opposed to how do I communicate what I believe, which is two different questions. The final thing I'll say that campaigns of any size versus national versus local um, can really take to heart is how are you using your time most wisely, most strategically, most effectively um, to communicate to the voters you need to communicate with? And on a local scale, that's literally how many doors are you knocking, how many calls are you making? As you get bigger and bigger, you stop being able to knock every door or call every voter. So you have to come up with other ways to talk with them. But it's basically the same relationship. It's how can you create that intimacy between candidate and voter, given the time that you have and the money you have? It's just different mechanics. Wondering if you could talk a little bit about not just why you started Run for Something, but actually how you did it, what the initial steps you took were to find candidates, what you were looking for in those candidates, and like what you were able to offer them at that time that helped them, you know, in their journeys. So when we launched Run for Something with a strategic plan that Ross and I spent a lot of time going back and forth over, and a website, which I, a not super competent website builder had built on Squarespace with the help of a designer who helped me create a brand on the incredible team at OCD and uh, some web forms. Cause remember we thought we small, we thought like nobody wants to run for office. It's really hard. Um, my inbox almost immediately was flooded with people saying I want to run and people saying I want to help. Um, Ross was at that time managing a congressional race in California. So it was all by my lonesome. Um, and I was still very depressed. <laughs> uh, so I was really trying to figure out how do I help as many of these people as possible while knowing that I can't personally talk to all of them. So in the same way that like candidates have to think about how you scale that, I had to think about that too. So I sat down with a group of friends, many of whom had been digital organizers or tech folks or political strategists and said, well, how do we build a system that outsources some of this, that like volunteers can help us screen candidates to figure out who we're even dealing with here. I can build a, a database of all the people who say they want to help. How can I facilitate some matchmaking here? Um, I have all these political organizations who say they want to talk to the folks who are thinking they're running for office. Okay, seems like we need to hire an organizer who can deal with all of that. <laughs> um, but it was basically taking the goal of recruiting people, so online, social media, press, paid ads, all that, and then helping them figure out what to do and using any tactic I could find to make it scale. Um, at the beginning, it was a very simple program that was a lot of passive resources. It was guides that either I wrote or I found and then edited or that partners wrote. Um, it's ultimately why I wrote the book, Run for Something, available at bookstores near you, um, <laughs> that talks through how to get on the ballot. Um, and now, you know, five and a half years later, it's a full-fledged soup to nuts program with lots of trainings and materials and mentorship opportunities and networking spaces and partnership work that, you know, 
ideally is a place where no matter where you are in the candidate journey, you can get the help you need. I want to pick up on something you just said about how in January 2017, you were still very depressed. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure we're all very familiar with how that felt. Can you talk about sort of how you can use that emotion or change that emotion to to get started? I think that's that's often a very difficult piece. You feel just so beaten down by whatever is happening in politics that you don't want to get back involved and, and sort of get in the race. You know, how do you sort of use your emotions or not use, you know, what what does that look like for you? Well, I can only say for me personally, I have always been the kind of person that buries my emotions by putting it to work. So I'm a campaign person who worked 100 hour weeks for years. Um, now I don't do that, which is much better. <laughs> um, but mostly I think, you know, it is easy to say, nothing can get better. There's no hope. There is no like possibility of change. Nothing I can do will make a difference. Like that is the easy way out because it absolves you of the responsibility to even try. And I personally, I can't speak for anyone, but like I am not someone who can sit idly by when there's a problem that I can at least imagine trying to fix. That has a lot of, um, the flaw as much as it is a strength, but it is, you know, sometimes you just want to fix it, you know? I think for a lot of folks, like to be optimistic or even realistically optimistic feels dangerous because it feels scary because you're going to get disappointed. But I think to organize, to help people run for office, to get involved with campaigns, to think that even the tiniest action can move the needle is like the purest form or presentation of hope and optimism. Because it means that you think, change is possible even if it's hard the other thing that I think really keeps me going is like the joy of focusing on local work as opposed to national as we win a lot and then you see the results like just you know earlier this week and by the time this comes out it'll be a couple weeks ago you know run for something worked with 30 some odd folks running for New York City Council 15 of them won um, the New York City Council just committed a million dollars to an abortion fund. It's the biggest ever municipal investment in making sure people have access to reproductive care. That's the thing that's going to save lives. And that is possible because of the work that we put in with those candidates and helping them win. And I get to see the impact of that in cities and towns and on school boards all across the country over and over and over again. It's the best part of my job is going through our news clips constantly because you get to like you win a lot and it makes it easier to keep working when you have those little victories. Actually, I would love for you to talk a little bit about the way that you approach data at Run for Something. Cause I know like uh, there have been election nights where my mother has called me the next day and just been like despondent. And I've sent her tweets that you have been sending out about, you know, how many wins your candidates experience locally and stuff like that. And I think one of the things that's so kind of fun about Run for Something operating at this much larger scale than you probably imagined is that you can accumulate a lot of this data. And because of that, you have a lot of this data to share. So I'm wondering how you guys approach keeping track of this data, what your sort of strategy is around that, because I think it's it has a, a, a larger impact than just proving your proof of concept that Run for Something's program works. I love the numbers. It's one of my favorite things because I think it's so much well, like really interesting. Um, but I, we have a giant spreadsheet. I have it open in front of me. We'll call it the Run for Something Command Hub. Um, and it's got data on everything from the races we've endorsed to election outcomes to endorsement applications and the amount of people who make it through. 
And part of this is because you can't improve upon what you don't track. So especially as we think about breaking it down, um, you know, the diversity of the folks we work with, the backgrounds of people we work with, we want to make sure we know where we are so we can know how much better we need to be. Um, but I love some of the numbers we've got. So for example, um, Run for Something has endorsed 1,162 women, 1,134 men, and 26 non-binary people in the lifetime of the organization. Um, we have endorsed, let's see, 560 women of color, 562 men of color, 258 um, LGBTQIA plus people of color. 9% uh, of our endorsements are between the ages of 18 to 24, 25% are between the ages of 25 and 30, the remaining 66% are between 31 and 40. Um, what's some other good ones? Let's see, let me look at our 2022 spreadsheet because we, you know, every year we collect a little bit more information or change the way we collect information. Um, of our 2022 endorsements, which includes 655 people, 18% identify as people with disabilities, 12% have an education fewer than a four-year college degree or less than a four-year college degree. 5% are veterans. 35% are caretakers of kids under the age of 18. 55% identify as coming from a low-income background. And 28% are immigrants or children of immigrants. Like, one, what a cool representation and reflection of the American people. Like, these are folks who, when they show up in office, they're going to get it. You're never going to have to explain to one of these people why it really matters that childcare is cheaper or why we yeah. should think about you know, access to affordable education differently. Um, but two, I think the numbers are indicative that this is not a one-off. Like it's very easy when you see the headlines to like, first, you know, non-binary member of the New York State Senate, great. You know, first or only new parent on the Waterloo City Council, cool. Like this is a bigger thing than just any one person. It is a movement. And I think the, the numbers illustrate something really beautiful there. Have you noticed any uh, trends in terms of who's been applying for your endorsements over time? Um, you know, we're always really intentional about who we're doing outreach to and making sure that our endorsement pools are really reflective of the American people. And we've set some benchmarks within each particular community or sub-community to make sure that we're meeting those goals. Um, but I have been really thrilled Anytime we get an endorsement application that references a previous run for something candidate as the reason they got into their race, like that, those are my personal favorites. And we get more and more of those now that we're five years in of, I decided to run for office because I saw Danica Rome do it in Virginia and I didn't know trans women like me could run. Or, well, you know, I wasn't going to, but then Bethany Hallam on the Allegheny City Council reached out and said, I should think about it. And well, now here I am applying for your endorsement, Bethany being one of the run for something alum from 2017, 2018. That is really cool. Because I think that shows like you get one, gets 10, gets 100, gets 1,000. So I know that you have thought a lot and have talked a lot about uh, the way the Republicans have spent a very long time building up where they are right now and why they are where they are. Could you talk some about sort of what what run for something strategy is to get, get the other side, get Democrats, progressives there in the next, you know, however long it might take? Ugh. Republicans have done this so well, it's infuriating. And then like you think back, not just to 2010, when they wrote their red map strategy, specifically targeting some state legislative races in order to control redistricting after the 2020 election. Um, but you can go back even further. They've been doing this since the <clears throat> 70s and 80s, investing 
tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into everything from state legislative races to county commissioners, all the way down to school boards. And, you know, when you do that and you do that over a long enough time period, it starts to build on itself and it creates a space where even if you don't have the most popular candidates, the most popular policies, you can control the outcomes of the election by controlling the structure of these institutions. Um, they are now deeply engaged, um, especially sort of the far right Republicans, the Steve Bannon Republicans, the MAGA Republicans on these election administration roles in particular. Um, we're seeing this in secretary of state races, but also um, where Run for Something is working is on these local county clerk, city clerk, uh, election administrator positions. Um, yeah, I think part of Run for Something's mission is specifically to build long-term sustainable power for our values and our generation and the generations to come. That in inherently has some tension because it means we got to lose a little before we can win big. That's hard, especially at a moment right now where it's like, why should we care about Idaho? Idaho is not a presidential election. We're never going to win the Senate race in Idaho. We're never going to win a governor's race in Idaho. And the answer is because there are people in Idaho <laughs> who deserve to have not Nazis running their, their school boards and their county commissioners and their state legislatures. And because maybe, who knows what the future will hold? If we try hard enough and lose enough in Idaho or states like Idaho, maybe Oklahoma, Wyoming, Utah, you know, even a place like Ohio or Florida, we're going to have to lose. But eventually we can win if we're willing to invest. But if we don't invest at all, we're never going to win. So ever the optimist, I choose to believe it's worth trying. Actually, I th that's something that we've spoken about a bit on this podcast with other guests as well is the the need to invest everywhere because people are everywhere. And part of how you determine success doesn't have to be just like, yes, wins, you know, no losses. It's a more complicated story than that when you're when you're looking at long-term political gain. I'm wondering if you if there's anything that you have tried and thought was gonna have an impact and fell flat, didn't work out. You know, you talked a little bit about needing to A, be willing to lose sometimes, but also needing to um, look towards lar longer goals and sometimes take short-term losses to do that. I'm curious if there's been anything that has not worked out the way that you thought it would. You know, there's really some like tactics we've tried that haven't been as effective as I would have thought. Um, you know, some advertising stuff that wasn't as meaningful, some like outreach tools that ultimately like the amount of work you put into it wasn't worth the return. And we've certainly like transformed organizational processes and data and the tech that we use over the years. I've also been amazed while we really want to build, wanted to facilitate some sort of uh, en masse like group social media spaces for candidates. What we really found was the most meaningful thing we could do was facilitate one-to-one -one or one-to-few relationships, um, which is harder. <laughs> it takes more people on our staff to like play matchmaker, but it was way more fruitful and ultimately more productive and useful for folks. I think the flip to that of the things that we have tried that I've been so surprised they worked um, was like we ran a holiday for a couple of years and I think we'll hopefully be bringing it back next year um, called National Run for Office Day. Ross and I were just shooting the shit one day and like, what if we made up a holiday? Wouldn't that be fun? Seems like you can make up a holiday on Instagram whenever you want. And it became a thing. And it was for a couple of years running our most effective and successful recruitment day of the year. That's cool. As it turns out, when you get a bunch of people talking about running for office, all at the same time, a bunch of people raise their hands. <laughs> 
So stuff like that, it's, it's more that stuff has surprised me that it works when it shouldn't than things that have failed when they should. So I'd like to talk about some nuts and bolts for people who are like, okay, I'm in, I want to run for office. <laughs> so uh, if it's somebody who is seeking the support of run for something, uh, and please tell us what young means in this space, uh, you know, what, what's the sort of next step? How do they do that? So Run for Something focuses our work on people 40 years old and younger running for local office for the first time. Um, if you are over the age of 40, that does not mean you should um, like go hide in the woods. It just means we're not the right group for you. And that's totally okay. In the same I'm 44, way that, yeah. so I'm glad I don't have to go hide in the woods. <laughs> um, and I'm like, really, I want to be really thoughtful about this because I know it's something that I get a lot of pushback on. So it's like, why won't you help me? It's like, because at some point we have to draw a line. And the, the experience of running for office as a 20 or 30 something is very different than running even as a 40 or 50 something, 50 year old. Um, so we had to draw the boundaries somewhere. That doesn't mean that I don't think everyone should run for office. Everyone should think about running for office. Um, we just might not be the right group for everyone. So if you're thinking about running or even if you're like not sure, go to runforwhat.net. You can enter your address. You can see what offices are available to you in 2023 and 2024. It's worth noting there's about 90... Ooh, I can give you an exact number because I love exact numbers. 94,103 open positions in 2023 and 109,992,000 open positions in 2024. Now that includes the presidency. So 109,991 minus that. Um, but that gives you a sense. People think 2023 is going to be off here. It's not. There are 94,103 races you could run for in 2023. A lot of those are school boards and municipal offices and county commissioners. So you're thinking about running for office, you can enter your information, you'll start getting emails and text messages from our team, sharing everything from guides on how to file to introductory conference calls, um, to trainings that we're running. You can have a one-on-one -on -one with one of our volunteers, which is still a program we do to help us learn a little bit more about you. They will also match you with some resources that are specific to where you are in the process. Um, and when you eventually get on the ballot, which we will help you do, you can then apply for our endorsement. All of this is online. Our endorsement application is very public. We have rolling deadlines. Uh, we do endorsements basically every month, except for December and July, I believe. We take like a little pause. Um, and if you're endorsed, our regional team and our state's team will work specifically one-on-one -on -one with you to figure out exactly what it is you need and how we can leverage our relationships on your behalf. We'll be in your corner. We'll be one part coach, one part consultant, one part therapist. Um, although that's not a legally binding relationship. So, <laughs> um, and we will help you however we can. It is truly a soup to nuts, uh, handholding experience. It was a mixed metaphor, but you got me. And can you also let people know where they can find you on the internet? I know you do a lot of outreach for run for something on your personal accounts as well. Yeah. Um, we follow them <laughs> religiously. So um, I am on Twitter at Amanda Littman, L-I-T-M-A-N. I am on Instagram, Amanda L-I-T-M. Um, run for Something is Run for Something on Twitter and Run for Something Now on Instagram. Our website more broadly is runforsomething.net. Um, I highly encourage you to sign up, get our emails, follow us on Twitter, and I guess me on Twitter, although... It's not good. <laughs> um, and and be a part of the community. And I think it's really special. It's one of my favorite things to hear from folks is they're like, the run for something Twitter feed on election night is my only source of joy. I'm like, you should find other sources of joy, but also thank you. 
I appreciate that. <laughs> it is a wonderful source of joy. If there are people who are perhaps over the age of 40 or under 40 and just not quite ready to run, how else can they get involved? Love that question. Um, first thing you can do is find a run for something candidate to support. So you can go to our website and look at our candidate directory or go to runforsomething.net slash map. There's a full Google map, totally searchable about all of our folks running this year. You can find a candidate near you, go knock doors, make calls on their behalf, especially if you live in a place with a bunch of other competitive races happening. Um, do not count on that top of the ticket to bring up the local folks. We know that the reverse absolutely is true. The top less so because not everyone completes the whole ballot. So go knock doors for that school board candidate or that city council race for the state legislative race. Second thing you can do um, is make a donation. We'll always appreciate a five or 500 or $500 million gift if anyone listening <laughs> has that. Um, every dollar means the world to our team. Um, you go to runforsomething.net slash donate or you just go to our website, you'll find the information there. Final thing you can do is if you have some special skills, um, if you are a content creator or website developer or policy expert um, and you want to help our candidates one-on-one, -on, -one, um, on our website in the help section, you can find a way to sign up for a mentorship network. So tons of ways you can get involved. Amazing. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure we talk about? Um, I know it's really easy right now to be thinking about the 2022 midterms. It is so exciting. We are just like a month out. Can't wait. And filing deadlines for 2023 are coming up as soon as in December in some states. Um, Wisconsin will start having municipal elections in this early spring um, of 2023. So it is never too early and only rarely too late to start getting start getting started for next year. Um, so if you're thinking about running for office, sign up now. It's not a commitment. We'll just help you figure out your next steps. Yes, uh, I can vouch. I live in Chicago where 2023 is definitely not an off year because <laughs> we have 50 mm -hmm. city council seats and the mayoral election happening. And there are people already out there canvassing for 2023. <laughs> That's right. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. This was terrific. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I love the work that Run for Something is doing. Thank you both for having me. This is always a blast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at whatcanidopod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.